Did you know Bold Commerce has some of the best apps to increase the size of almost all your orders? Maybe you're looking to run store-wide sales with countdown timers. Boom! Bold Discounts will run your scheduled promos with just a few clicks, no coupon codes required. Or maybe you're looking to maximize average order value. You could count on Bold Upsell, Bold Motivator, or Bold Bundles. With Bold Upsell, you can offer product upgrades, cross-sales, or complimentary products as free gifts. With Bold Bundles, you could boost average order value by bundling a few products or an entire collection so that your customers can mix and match items to get a discount. Now, hey, when was the last time you made an online purchase and saw a message like, spend 15 more dollars for free shipping? With Bold Motivator, you could do that same thing and more. Offer free shipping, free product, or even a percentage off the entire order. Pick and choose which apps are best for you, or use them all to boost conversion at an average order value. With free bold apps for 14 days, there's no excuse not to try and boost your sales this year. To get this special offer, go to boldcommerce.com slash Kurt. That's boldcommerce.com slash K-U-R-T. again on the unofficial Shopify podcast is none other than e-commerce fuel community leader and podcast host Andrew Udarian but he's not the important part what's important is what he brings us today he has picked the brains via survey extensive survey of all the brand owners seven and eight figure store brand owners in his e-com fuel community and put together a trends report so today we are going to discuss the results of this 2022 e-commerce trends report gathered directly from store owners like you. And it ideally, you know, 30 minutes from now, you're going to have a unique detailed look at what trends are shaping the e-com landscape and ultimately your business. Now, the guy who's going to be bringing that to you, aside from me, Kurt Elster, Tech nasty. is Andrew Udarian, founder of Ecom Fuel, this the seven, eight figure brand owner community. I'm a member of it. It is a high quality community. I get a ton of uh, great uh, inspiration and advice from it. He's also a podcast host, same name, Ecom Fuel, E-commerce Fuel, and that was early inspiration for me for the show. After a few years in the investment banking world, though, Mr. Udarian decided he'd had enough and decided to quit, start his first e-commerce business. And he has since sold numerous e-com stores over the years and loves geeking out about e-com investing, finance, marketing, and community. All right, we will talk about at least three of those five topics. Uh, Andrew, welcome to the show. Where you been? What's going on? Yeah, thanks, Kurt. I always love coming on and doing this with you. It's a blast. Um, I've been I've been well. Uh, been um, in Tucson, where I live. Was in Maine about a week ago at a Annie's. One of some of our family like lives almost off the grid, like full organic farm style. Like, hey, we grow the wheat to to make the flour, to make the bread, kind of thing. So that was cool for a week. That was a lot of fun. Um, and just working on trends reports, man. It's, uh, you know, like you said, I love geeking out about this stuff. So, so it's trends report and like just full sustainable home independent farming in New England. They're pretty much. I mean, those go together so closely, right? Yeah, so tightly. Like I mean, so much overlap. Peanut butter there. jelly. <laughs> Dude, what's amazing? We're, we're getting way off, off topic here, but I'm not really a, I love good food, but, uh, you know, I always lived like in the cities, but it was, it was cool going and seeing the not like her. Andy's my wife's aunt and uncle, like they don't have trash. Like I was like, Hey, where I throw this away. And, and they're like, Oh, we don't really have trash. Like, cause they just don't need it. Like they just make everything. I ate better than I've eaten probably a decade cause they grow everything. It was, it was cool to see like a lot of work, but I don't know. Um, 
and then I think back to to us who, you know, our family who like gets boxes in our front door every other day and uh, oh, just see. generates gobs of recycling that is just anyway anyway it was, it was a really about interesting it. yeah, yeah. And i've always i think about it and i feel guilty about it like every single time i throw something out like I'm, i watched this old modern marvels episode about the just garbage disposal industry now we're like fully off topic and yeah every day that's my system is rather than do anything about it i just feel quietly guilty inside every time i throw anything out that's well that helps a lot i mean that's that's the the largest the most important thing to do really yeah if we could if we could There's harness guilt my guilt feeling. as an energy source that could offset things <laughs> man we'd be able to power the world if we could harness your guilt as an energy <laughs> source <laughs> yeah. anyway sorry I've, this is the worst i mean last time you ever invite me on here for derailing <laughs> a conversation <laughs> all right so you've got this this ecom trends report what is it yeah so every year uh our our uh Every year, try to come and and ask our community. It's largely members of our community, but also a lot of other folks uh, kind of chip in as well. And we, I surveyed over 600 store owners. Average revenue of the store was uh, about seven million dollars, um, mostly in the U.S. About two thirds in the U.S., but also uh, a, a lot of owners from Canada, Australia, Europe, and, and across the world. And just ask them about 50, 60 questions, and then we dive into those questions and try to pull out the most interesting trends, stats, uh, you know, correlations, things like that. So it's, uh, we've been doing, I think this is the fourth year of the report. So it's fun because we can look at things over time as well. And yeah, it's, it's great. Uh, and so thank you to everyone who's done it. I'm sure there's a handful of people who are listening who have, uh, who participated and um, really appreciate you doing it because it's a, it's a big, big ask and uh, a lot of questions, but it's, it's, it comes up with some interesting insights. So when you fill it out, the first thing it asks you is, do you like, do you run a e-commerce store? And when you say no, it says, thank you for your time. So I filled it out. I got through one question. I was like, wow, this is the easiest survey I've ever taken. Uh, Kurt, your insights were invaluable. I mean, we couldn't have done the report without you. So thank you so much. All right. We got this one. No, moving on. Um, all right. So, all right. Sample size. We got 600 stores about it's us centric, about two thirds are in the U S and then the other mm -hmm. third is like, a, it's had like a variety of uh, largely English-speaking countries. Um, yes. I'm sure there's others in there. Seven million average revenue, and then uh, about sixty to seventy questions. Yeah, about fifty, sixty questions. Yeah, we okay. ask everything we'll from sixty. Yeah, yeah, sixty. Six hundred questions. Got it. <laughs> and, and is there anything about the the methodology here that I should know? I mean, that's like a big word. That sound I sound smart if I go. What's the methodology? Yeah, I mean, method. We do on, on the low side. I think we stripped out. I have to go check the Excel file, but I think we anyone who was below 250k in revenue or maybe 200k in revenue, we we excluded just because we wanted to try to get for things like growth rates and things. If you're when you're that low, it just it really skews the averages and and the uh, kind of some of the trends. So on the very low side, um, some of those data points were excluded. Uh, and, and tried to be thoughtful about like averages and means. Uh, one thing I learned in finance is that. Man, if you've got a, depending on how you chop and dice the data and outliers and averages or means, you can get data samples for anything you want it to, depending yeah, on lies, on damn how lies, you and statistics. Up. Oh yeah, it's it's so um, yeah. So tried to be thoughtful about about that from a methodology standpoint. That's uh, that's kind of the probably the biggest thing to mention. So all right. So I, when I hear that someone has at least put is aware of sampling bias and is at least like mm -hmm. thinking about it. That is really that that's all I need to know is like a best effort was made here. Um, and there was an yeah. awareness and understanding of it. 
So and I will say, I, I do not have, you know, don't, I, a finance background, e-commerce background. I don't have a statistics background. I think if any, you know, PhD student in statistics came in here and, and actually saw the data, they probably, you know, th- they might, you know, have, have a small conniption. But in general, I think it is accurate and representative, especially in terms of the high level trends. So that's the disclaimer I'll throw in there. Yeah, so. I think it's like, yeah, take it or leave it. But there's always going to be someone on the internet who will yell like, that's not statistically significant, no matter what you do. It's like, all right, the sample size was the entire planet. They're like, but what about the phase of the moon? Did you account for it? Oh, crap. (laughs) He's right. (laughs) All right. So was this all, were there, was this all quantitative? Were there any like subjective qualitative questions in there? We did. Yeah. We had some questions about like, what's your biggest, uh, you know, like your biggest plans, biggest struggle for the year or biggest plans for, uh, you know, kind of for the upcoming year. Um, So for example, like the year ahead, biggest plans for people was number one, invest in new products. That always seems to be be the biggest uh, thing people want to do more of. Number two, get better at marketing. Number three, work on Amazon or get on Amazon Four, scale the business and five expanded to new channels. And so those we kind of just lumped together in broad based categories. Uh, So I'd say 10% were open-ended quality, you know, uh, qualitative, but the vast majority, 90% were quantitative Uh, revenue, growth, profit margins, conversion rates, that kind of stuff. So, so with those qualitative questions, I, I, I want a temperature check. Like, what's the, the general sentiment here? How are brand owners feeling? I think they're feeling a little bit, a little bit beleaguered in the sense that it's just, and we were talking about this before we hopped on, um, it's just been a rough couple of years, you know, but rough three years. You had COVID, which was amazing for most brands, but exhausting. And then you had 20, you know, the year after that supply chain issues and, and Facebook and all this stuff, which just kind of was a, a a gut punch. Uh, and now you're kind of coming to a recession a little bit, although this data was collected before that. So I think it's just feeling a little bit, a little bit weary, to be honest. I think it was interesting if you looked at the number of store owners that were considering selling, um, about half of people, close to half of store owners were either considering selling, had made up their mind to sell, or were either seriously considering it or across their mind. There was only about 43% who said, nope, no plans to sell, zero plans. So I think, I think that was a byproduct of a really good multiples at the time. This was before kind of the M&A market had kind of really kind of uh, cooled off substantially. But I think it was also a, a function of the fact that, man, it's just been a rough couple of years and exhausting, maybe it's better, uh, exhausting couple of years in e-commerce. So I think, uh, I think yeah, uh, worn out is maybe a good way to put kind of the, the temperature of, of people. So. so fatigued, battle-worn, beleaguered. You sound very excited saying all these very negative adjectives. But not belligerent. <laughs> no, it was funny. It's, I feel like even we did, a, we did a, a couple of events after this and uh, after this data came out and got, uh, got collected. And the number of people who I, I talked to, maybe this is just contradicting what I, I just said about in terms of people selling, but people were, were tired and kind of, like you said, fatigued, but they weren't like, I don't know. It seemed like they were still, they still were a lot of them were willing to trying to figure out how to, how to pivot, how to adjust. It wasn't a giving up mentality. It was a man, I'm really worn out, but I'd love to just be able to, I got to figure out how to change my business and my model. A lot of people for kind of, you know, the new landscape that we live in. So um, yeah, I kind of, kind of, we're having a very like, you know, I feel like we're having like e-commerce store or pillow talk here, uh, you know, in terms <laughs> of like feelings and emotions and stuff. But but yeah, that's kind of the sense that I think I got from this and also just talking to store owners. So, so what's the, 
what's your biggest takeaway other than like fatigue post pandemic? Yeah. So I had four, if you're cool with it, I, I just kind of four big takeaways. Yeah. Let's run through them if you're cool with that. Uh, first one, and this was the one that I think I've talked a lot about this. So if you if people have heard this before, apologies, I'll try to maybe slide in a few new things that, uh, that you can take away. But the biggest one, I, I think one of the most interesting things about a study like this is you have all this data. You can look at what stories are doing the best and you can try to reverse engineer. Okay. How are they being successful? Like how are they able to achieve these levels of success? And so we created a bunch of groups, a control group. We contributed, uh, had a group that was going, uh, growing extremely quickly. We called them the rabbits, the rabbit group. Uh, very technical. Um, you can tell we're professionals here. And then we had a, a third group that was uh, what we called the profitable rabbits. So companies that were growing reasonably quickly, but also growing their, their profits reasonably quickly as well and had decent margins. Uh, I think it was something like they had to have at least 15 or 20% profit margins and were growing the revenue and their profitability year over year. And so we looked at a bunch of different, you know, compared the groups, like, and, and where are these groups outpacing? Like, what are they doing to drive these results? And what we found was really interesting. Um, the biggest thing was return on ad spend, ROAS, had zero correlation between these groups. So if you had a, Whoa. if you looked at the different groups, there was, if you were in the uh, terrible, you know, the, 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 the control group, it actually was a group that was doing poorly. Uh, versus the groups that were doing great, there was almost zero difference. And there, there was literally zero difference in the return on ad spend. If anything, it was actually the groups that were doing worse had a slightly higher return on ad spend. So what actually drove the difference were things like the biggest thing was uh, a focus on brand and storytelling as a competitive advantage. So the companies were growing fastest. They were six times more likely to cite that as their competitive advantage, like just off the charts, crazy high differentiator. Um, much more likely you know, 77% more likely to manufacture their own product. Um, they had a, a higher conversion rate. They, um, I think, you know, so was, all these things were really interesting. And then if you looked at what was setting apart the profitable growing companies, it was, it was fewer things that were, uh, weren't as many just like, like that branding and storytelling advantage that were just uh, the by far and away uh, just off the charts differentiators. But there was a lot of little subtle things like they were much less reliant on, traffic uh, on paid traffic. Uh, their gross margin was fatter. This was a big one. They had much, they had probably half the headcount. So they were lean operators. Their employee headcount was 50% smaller than that of, uh, of other folks. Um, they were less likely to run their own warehouse, which I thought was interesting. They were more likely to, to outsource that. Um, and they had, you know, a slightly uh, higher conversion rate. So it was, it was, Yes, the ROAS also didn't change, but the ones that were profitable also had this focus on leaner operations, outsource fulfillment, um, smaller headcount, uh, fatter margins, less paid traffic, things like that. So that was the biggest thing. Accidents happen. Maybe you installed an app and it messed up your theme, or a store collaborator deleted product images by mistake. Common myth. Shopify is a backup that you can use when something goes wrong with your store. Untrue, they don't. Myth busted. So what do you do? You use Rewind to equip your Shopify store with automated backups. Rewind should be the first app you install to protect your store against human error, misbehaving apps, or collaborators gone bad. It's like having your own magic undo button. Trusted by over 100,000 businesses, from side hustles to the biggest online retailers like Nick's and Movement Watches. It's even a Shopify Plus certified app. Best of all, visit rewind.com slash Kurt Elster and get a 30-day free trial. Enjoy peace of mind with Rewind Backups. Find it in the Shopify App Store or visit rewind.com. 
ROAS is the thing we obsessed over forever and like mm-hmm. really specifically meta ads and what we're seeing in this data set is the brands that were focused on product and brand. So they're manufacturing their own goods and they're attaching that to storytelling where they're really owning like messaging and communication, but having a narrative telling a story. I've noticed that too. The brands that can do that where they have in some way found their voice, right? That those, that becomes a very serious competitive advantage and it's hard to compete with stories. The, um, and then interesting that they're running, but like, yeah, they're, they've got that stuff in house, but then the stuff that goes external 3PL, right? We're not going to bother with fulfilling ourselves. Interesting. Um, a move toward efficiency and then, you know, focusing on efficiency and cutting the headcount. Hmm. I did not, I didn't expect that part. What do you think about the arc of kind of logistics and supply chain and manufacturing? Early on, you could hack distribution, you could hack marketing online, right? Um, or it was easier to hack marketing online and you could, you know, drop ship products. You can make that work for a while. Then that stopped being effective and then you had to manufacture your own products, right? Well, that worked for a while, but then all of a sudden, like a lot of people, even though that's a hard game, a lot of people figure that out. It's not as hard, you know, it's not that hard to get manufacturers to make you stuff. And so now, even if a lot of the stuff is very similar, now it's much more about marketing and branding and presenting the stuff you have in, in a light that really resonates with, with people. So you've gone from, you know, just marketing to be able to actually have to create the stuff and market it. And then now it's, you have to elevate your own stuff above everyone else's manufactured product. So, um, yeah, it's been interesting to watch that evolve. So that's where the storytelling, I think, just becomes so so paramount. I don't know about you, Kurt. I'm in this world a lot, and I like to think, like, I'm above storytelling. I'm above branding. And I'm being like, oh, phew, I'm a value guy. You're not going to get me to pay tr- double or triple for this stuff with nice packaging. But I'm I, I'm just as much of a sucker as a, for it, I think, as anyone else, even though I like to think I'm not. And it's it's super effective. So. I, I would like to think that I can see through it. I can identify it for what it is and... In being so deep in it, I am more susceptible than anybody. Like, I know it's <laughs> happening, and I still, am like, just take my money, send me the thing, it's fine. Like, I know what's going on here, you know, it, but it's cool, you got me. Well, some, I remember sometimes, too, if it's like you see just a gorgeously done product with great branding and great packaging, and just, it's a cohesive, it just... So you feel like it's a premium experience. If you're like, man, I know how hard this is to do. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'll pay you for it. So yeah, maybe that's part you're of right. It too. You see it and you you have an appreciation for it. And I think that just that's what makes you more susceptible. And you go like, I want to be a part of that. Like when you see it, it's really put together. And you can, I think the importance of the story is that as people, as humans, that's what we connect with. And so like that immediately adds this emotional component to it. And then when you combine it with like, it just looks really good and polished and professional. And I think it'll solve some need or it'll make my life easier. It's just going to make me look cool. Like, or it'll be a great gift, whatever it is. There's that emotional component to it um, that you just can't, without story, how do you add emotion to product? It's very tough. Yeah, exactly. So that was the biggest thing. Uh, The second thing I, I thought was fascinating from the report and the findings was, that I think we've I think we've finally hit what I'm calling peak Amazon, and so what I mean by that every year for for about four years of this report, I've measured the percentage of merchants selling on Amazon and also the percent of uh, revenue uh, aggregate revenue that comes from Amazon, and for the first time ever about th- you know last time I did the report, 
that was kind of plateauing and, and predicted that we'd actually see a decline. And we actually did. So it wasn't a huge decline, but for the first time ever, the percentage of merchants selling on Amazon dropped. So it used to be 56%. Now it's 53%. And the aggregate revenue via Amazon also dropped as well. So um, it went from about 28% to about 26%. So not like an earth shattering move. And I don't think Amazon's going anywhere anytime soon. Um, but it was really interesting seeing that inflection point start to head the other direction. And interestingly enough, also, all of the most of the metrics, when you look at performance metrics of brands that don't sell on Amazon versus those that do sell on Amazon, the brands that don't sell on Amazon, they're growing revenue faster on average. They're growing their income faster on average, both of those by a wide margin. Uh, their gross margins are a little bit lower, uh, but not much. And their net margins are, you know, meaningfully higher. So hmm. all that to say, I think, I mean, we don't have to repeat the, all the headaches people have had with Amazon over the last couple of years and, and why this is the case. I think a lot of people listening probably have a sense of why that is. But I think that has finally caught up to Amazon and a lot of like brands going forward are, are starting to reconsider. Um, yeah, hey, does this make sense? Or, and I don't think they're fleeing the flat poor necessarily, but I think the people that are coming on board maybe are starting to think a little more carefully. Be like, hey, do I really want to, is this a business model I want to create? So, And the, the, the pushback on Amazon is like they are – they're they're difficult to deal with and they create a culture of like you play in their sandbox by their rules and you pay for the privilege to do it. And so you really there's like a lot of control over the brand and the experience that you lose and you don't own the customer. But it's this marketplace that has the most eyeballs. Like everybody is is shopping on Amazon. And so I see the attraction. That's kind of a double-edged sword, isn't it? Oh, totally. But I think going back to branding and storytelling. You can do it on Amazon, but it's much harder to tell a great story and have a great cohesive brand experience on Amazon versus your own website. And I think, I'm, I'm curious about you, Carter, I've talked about this with some other people. When I look at my buying behaviors on Amazon, I buy one of two things. I buy really cheap products that are, are commodity items. Like, mm -hmm. hey, I need like very cheap bike lights for my bike uh, that I want to spend $20 on. And if they break in six months, it's not the end of the world kind of thing. Um, so very cheap commodity based items, or I buy very high, you know, very well-known national brands, uh, you know, that you know, maybe Nike, I bought some basketball, sh basketball shoes from Nike the other day on Amazon, like Nike shoes, basketball. I know them trusted brand. Okay. Anything in the middle between those interesting, unique products, more niche products, um, kind of exploratory things that I think are interesting, Bought like a Jolie shower head the other day for, uh, for, for my wife, Annie. That was something like I, I bought that partially because I heard it from someone, uh, Nick Sharma, uh, when he was talking at our event in Charlotte. But then also I went to their website and like this was beautifully done. They, they it was branded well. They talked about you know all the all the stuff it pulled out of the the water. Um, I, I, that's not a product I would have bought and paid a premium price for on Amazon. I just wouldn't have anyway. So I think at the ends of that spectrum, Amazon's going to continue to do really well. I think anything in between, I think they're going to increasingly struggle to get those type of brands. Yeah, you're right. It, it's saying I hadn't thought about it that way, but my Amazon and I scrolled through my Amazon orders real quick. It's like all commodity consumable purchases. Mm -hmm. It's like if I'm getting mm -hmm. batteries, I'm buying 48 at a go from Amazon. But then, you know, outside of that, like, a, you know, I'm buying like basics. Beyond that, I'm going to go direct to the brand. And I like it's not a thing I was aware of or really thought about. Like your shirt right now. And not that I have any type of, you know, head knowledge on this at all. I'm playing completely by the rules. But I'm, did you buy that on Amazon? Uh, no, I, I actually purchased this last Black Friday at Eddie Bauer. 
Yeah, for those of you who can't in see, person. Kurt is wearing a phenomenally good-looking, uh, kind of flannelish, Aztec-y, very, very cool shirt. I was getting so. Southwest vibes out of it. I feel very oh, Southwestern. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like I should be wearing this shirt. We, we're, we're reversed here. Yeah, you've got that black T-shirt that just goes with, like, the Midwest malaise of just being here through the gray winter. That's, like, I love that look in the winter. This, the bright color is very Southwest. This is to keep me from getting the seasonal affective disorder. I'm just... F- Trying to inspire myself here. Um, <laughs> and it's like Dazzle Camo. I could confuse predators with this. Yeah, I'm not quite sure where to look. Like, I just <laughs> I feel like my eyes are darting all over the place. So apologies for not maintaining <laughs> eye contact here. Um, all right. So Amazon, uh, not necessarily table stakes anymore. People reconsidering. Uh, but still, a little over half of uh, our, our sample or stores were selling on Amazon. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think, we'll, I, think, yeah, I think we'll see that trend continue. Number three, uh, this is on pricing. So the biggest, biggest takeaway was like you need to raise your prices probably again. And I think a lot of people have been raising prices with inflation, with supply chain stuff going up. So it's, it's something I think people have already been doing. But I do think also people underestimate A, the power of it, and B, they overestimate the negative uh, downside when it happens. And so I asked people, I said, hey, did you increase your prices? And, you know, of the people that increased their prices, um, 85% of them had a positive outcome. So what that means, let me break that down. Uh, people that raised prices, about 62% saw no change to revenue. So what that means is prices went up, uh, probably fewer orders, but those orders are generating more per order. AOV, you know, goes up. And so uh, the revenue stays the same, but at a higher margin, which is a win, a big win in my book. Um, and 14% saw their revenue, uh, or excuse me, 62% saw no change. 24% saw their revenue actually increase. So higher revenue at a higher margin, huge win across the board. Only 14% of people saw their revenue actually decrease. And so, and even of that 14% that I'm saying is a negative outcome, uh, there's a very good chance that even a large portion of them still saw their profits increase because like every incremental dollar uh, in, you know, if you're increasing your, if you if your margin, if you increase prices, and this is especially more acute if your margins are lower, uh, you know, if you have profit margins of, I'm going to try to do math on the fly here. I'll probably butcher this, but if you, if you increase your, if your margin is 50% and you increase, I'm going to butcher, I'm not even going to try, but a lot of those people who had the revenue, I wouldn't have gotten it either. Yeah, thank you. Uh, a lot of those people that had the revenue decrease, maybe their top line went down, but their profitability was still went up because their margins were up. Um, anyway, so the, the big thing that I took away with this was just raise your prices because 85, 90% of the time, it's going to result in a positive net result for your business. And the other thing, kind of the, the, the corollary to this was suppliers raised their prices. The average supplier price increase was about 15%, but the average merchant price increase is only about 11%. So store owners are not increasing their prices at a rate that is keeping up with supply chain price increases. And we actually saw that in the, in the, the net margins for business owners this year, it went down uh, partially because people aren't raising their prices in lockstep with their suppliers, probably because of fear. So th- anyway, takeaway, raise your prices. You almost certainly, I'm a gambling man and, and it's a good bet. So when we, with Looking to raise prices and you're saying like supplier costs went up. Another thing that's gone up is uh, shipping costs and fulfillment costs. Uh, did you do, uh, do you have any info on uh, how people are treating shipping rates and free shipping? 
Yeah, we actually did. It was it was kind of interesting. And let me pull these. It's been a while since I looked at that data. Yeah, so we actually chatted with um, with Intelligems. They're a company uh, that does pricing research. Uh, they help people kind of you know kind of look at very science. It's like kind of Clavio for pricing. How do you scientifically make pricing? Yeah, it'll do split. I've used it. It'll do split testing on product pages and um, split testing of shipping rates. It's it's cool. Oh, cool. Okay, yeah, nice. They're a great company. Disclosure, I'm an investor in them, um, but I really like what they're doing. And they talked about, they said, in terms of free shipping, um, they actually said that 80% of brands found that adding in a free shipping threshold or raising their free shipping minimums was a profit accretive decision. Um, And so, you know, I think people are, prices, they actually found that people were a little bit more price sensitive in terms of if you just raise prices, like in the past. So I think still raising your prices are really good decision for most brands. They found that year over year consumers were getting a little, the, the, the increase in the prices were a little bit, you couldn't push them quite as far as you could before because people were more price sensitive, but they did find that like if you raised your free shipping thresholds or your minimums, like that was a, a, a great way to, to boost profits, maybe even more effective or, you know, in, in, you know, as effective a strategy as raising your prices. So, and I think, in, yeah, so I, if I raise my shipping rate threshold, I will gain more profit than it will cost me in conversions. Yes, exactly. And yeah. I mean, for like, most, you know, test most it. People. Don't just take that. Look, all right, we're going to, d- you know, double our shipping rates and hope it works out. Like, you know, be, be thoughtful about it. But um, I think for the most, and I'm seeing this with our own clients, is a lot of people just going, hey, we're dumping free shipping or our free shipping thresholds are going way up. And then free shipping can become a promo during, uh, you know, November, December. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And as opposed to having to just totally get your, your pricing. So that makes sense. Um, and then container prices, we, we, we definitely container prices. And I think they were in the you know, 15, 16,000, uh, dollars for 40 foot, but those have come down dramatically in the last, you know, last handful of months since we did the report. So I think those are maybe in some cases even sub 10 at this point, I've been tracking them quite as closely, but um, shipping was a big deal, but it's thankfully it's, it's cards started to subside on the, the importing shipping container rates. So, so you think we're not going to um, see shipping in again this year? I hope not. I don't, I don't think as much. Uh, no, I, I think we're going to have, I think prices are coming down on that. I think backlogs at the ports are starting to clear up a little bit. Um, thankfully, no, I, I don't think that's going to be as much of an issue this year. Okay, good. <laughs> that was yeah. not fun. Yeah, it was it was rough for sure. Um, those were those were some of the big takeaways. Let me give you like three or four super rapid fire ones. Um, it was very interesting seeing the percentage of people that uh, paid traffic. If we looked at so when you know back in 2019 versus today, the number of brands that are reliant on paid traffic back in 2019, the number one source of the number of brands saying paid traffic was their number one source of uh, of visitors was about a third of people, and now it's about half. So like a, you know, a lot more brands are heavily reliant on paid traffic than they, they were before. Uh, we looked at marketing channels, which marketing channels got more or less popular. And the ones that got more popular in 2022 were Google AdWords. I think it, it was a beneficiary of some of the Facebook debacles, SEO. Uh, Amazon ads became more popular. In, influencer marketing jumped the largest amount from the last time we did the report. SMS and wholesale also did as well. Uh, Facebook ads declined in popularity and blogging declined in popularity. Um, we also looked at the most effective marketing channels. So these aren't like, hey, who do people use the most? But who do people use the most? Who do people say is 
you know, what, what channel is the most effective for people. So of the people that say like, Hey, we use Google ads, what percentage of those say like Google ads is a really great performing channel. Uh, Google AdWords jumped up. Actually, well, let me, let me step back. The number one most effective marketing channel in 2019 and also for 2022, Kurt, you want to guess what it was? Uh, I'm going to go with, I have no idea. <laughs> I know, no I'm not guessing. I'm not doing it. <laughs> not guessing. I just, okay. It okay. was right in front of me when you said it. And so knowing what it is, I cannot. Okay. You could, you could, you, yeah, well, honest man. So, you know, Amazon ads, Amazon ads has been like the most effective uh, marketing channel in terms of just how much people get out of it. Uh, so Amazon, that was number one. Google AdWords was the second most effective up, uh, up last year for number four. Email marketing was number three this year. It dropped a spot. SEO dropped a spot. It's a number four and Facebook ads, you know, it was, it was kind of at the bottom of the pack at number five this year. So it's funny um, that blogging went like is number eight. It went down and SEO is number three. It went up. Really? Those things feel like they should overlap. That's, that's a good, that's true. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, I think when I think SEO, I think like, yeah, that's, that's a fair point. I, I wonder if blogs, I wonder if part of the blogging part though is like people having like e-commerce related blogs or, or content because SEO is like homepage, landing pages, product pages, all of that kind of stuff. But you're right. Those, those do overlap. So that is kind of interesting that they're kind of diverging. It's content marketing. Do you still use a horse and buggy? How about a fax machine? No? Then don't use a regular Shopify theme when you can use Zipify pages. Just ask this Zipify user. Zipify pages. I just found that it converts so much better than any Shopify theme I have used before. And you can create high converting landing pages in really the matter of minutes. Zipify pages is a powerful landing page and sales funnel builder on Shopify. All their templates are tested and proven by a $155 million e-commerce brand. So you know their stuff actually works. You can copy entire templates like opt-in pages, product pages, and holiday promotions, or use the drag and drop builder to create your own custom layouts. Then publish your pages directly onto your Shopify store. Plus, all pages are optimized for mobile and built-in split testing helps you maximize your results. It's no wonder Zipify Pages is used by over 5,500 Shopify merchants. To start your free 14-day trial, go to zipify.com slash Kurt. That's Z-I-P-I-F-Y dot com slash K-U-R-T. And to get an unadvertised bonus, email help at zipify.com and ask for the Tech Nasty bonus. Tech Nasty. How do, do we have any thoughts on, on how people are approaching content var- marketing? Like, f- I feel like 2021 was the year where we went, like, uh, portrait video is the cornerstone of content strategy. Yeah, I feel like people are just not, I mean, rise of TikTok, YouTube, a lot of, a lot more people are getting into video, it seems. Um, like, we also asked, what's the marketing channels with the most future potential? TikTok was number one. Influencer marketing was number two. SMS was number three. YouTube was number four. So of the four channels that people said that have the most future potential, three of the four are heavily related or not, if not entirely related to video. So TikTok and YouTube, of course, influencer marketing is probably, I would say 80 to 90%, maybe not 80, but largely video based and, and maybe text, you know, maybe image for Instagram, but between video and Instagram, it's, it's probably 90% of influencer marketing. For sure. So I, yeah, I think people are doing less blogging because people's attention spans are down. I also think, you know, SEO has just gotten harder. It's gotten more crowded. Um, not that it's gone or dead by any means, but 
And also, I don't know, it's interesting to you, you wonder too how much SEO is still working, but I think we're all very immune to being caught up in the new thing. What's working? Oh, are we missing the boat? Are we, you know, are we, could our business be a $40 million business if only we would get on TikTok earlier? Like uh, some of the, it's, sometimes it's, it's hard to stick with the old things if uh, everyone's flocking to something new. So yeah, I think content is, is, you know, no news here for people, but kind of moving a little bit away from, from written, uh, at least in terms of attention and going towards video. It's, I'm curious to see how that'll play out in like five years from now. Of course, like five years from now, it'll be, you know, it's like, well, don't you have your Apple contacts so we can go in the metaverse and hang out with Zuckerberg's, you know, cyber self? Like, it's hard to predict the marketing technology five years into the future. But I suspect we're going to see, you know, the pendulum swings. And so I, I suspect we'll see people going back to some traditional stuff like blogging because it, it's a, a very evergreen strategy um, for generating SEO and qualified traffic versus like TikTok um, and portrait video and, and Instagram reels where it is so fast and it requires so much content to go into it. Well, here's, I mean, you, you understand this very well as a fellow podcaster. Uh, podcasting is an amazing medium to create a relationship uh, with people. It's a horrific medium to create ongoing traffic that sticks around and gets picked up by the search engines because it's all text-based and just like the video stuff, like a, it's hard to index. It's not Google can index it probably, but it takes more work and it's hard, harder to index. B, you can't scrub through it as quickly. If, if I want to go and find something really fast, if I want to, you know, if I want to update, you know, learn how to scrub my email list and I, I got an afternoon to do it, maybe I'll go listen to an hour and a half podcast about it. Probably not. I probably want to go look at like a, 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 a very detailed, concise blog post that goes through the five steps so I can dive in quickly. Um, and it's, it's, you also have to, you have to keep, because of those reasons, you have to keep, pu- you know, pu- you know, publishing it out and pushing out. Same with TikTok and, and, and YouTube is probably a little bit better, but um, yeah, anyway, for all those reasons, I think you're right. I think there's a lot of, we were talking about this in the ECF forums recently, how some people were asking for a lot more video content. And most people were like, I, I don't want a lot more video content in the forums. Like it's hard to get through quickly and, and there's definitely some downsides to it too. So I agree. I think, I think we'll probably see a little bit more of a reversion to the mean of blocking and, and, and written in the future. Uh, and you, you're a finance guy. You asked for key performance indicators. You've got for financial KPIs here. Mm-hmm. Walk me through some of those as we're, we're getting to the end of our time together, but I, I got to know. Yeah. So we looked at kind of, you know, a bunch of different performance, uh, average revenue growth, income growth, gross margins, net margins. So average revenue growth this year was about 34% across the board. Uh, average income growth was uh, 24% uh, across the board. And that had come down um, from, you know, kind of 33, 31 in the years before. Gross margins went up a little bit, which was, uh, which is well, very modestly, went up, uh, we're about 45%. And then uh, average net margins were, they actually dropped, like I talked about earlier, with people raising their prices less than their suppliers. Net margins actually dropped meaningfully, so they went from 18% to about 16%. Conversion rate came down, too, from about 3% to 2.5%, um, throwing a lot of numbers at people. And then we, we looked at kind of all of those, those metrics as well across different uh, business types. So are you drop shipping? Are you manufacturing? Are you private labeling? 
uh, as well as different competitive advantages. Are you, do you think you, we asked people, I thought this is actually some of the more interesting data we collected for the first time this year. We asked people, why are you able to do well? Like, what is it that makes your business special and able to compete? Are you amazing at paid marketing? Do you sell to the lowest price? Do you have a proprietary product? All these kind of things. And what I thought was interesting was on the performance by competitive advantage type, Again, going back to that branding and storytelling, the branding and the people who reported branding and storytelling was the primary reason they were able to do well, um, just outperformed on almost all the metrics. They, they, they took the top spot. They had the highest gross margin, the highest net margin, the highest revenue growth, the highest income growth, and their conversion rate was almost, uh, I think only one uh, other company beat them on that, and it wasn't by very much, one other competitive advantage. So. Uh, that's a lot of numbers. I don't want to uh, totally give people brain fog here with just spewing financial stats, but those are some of the highlights. And so if we're thinking of like, what what's the common theme here, the common thread to a successful store? Like what is it, a successful store in 2022 look like? It sounds like they're, they're lean. So there's a focus on profitability, which I think, you know, cash flow is king when you're dealing with manufacturing inventory. These people are manufacturing their own product. They're outsourcing the stuff where they see like, all right, I can't add value here. So, you know, a 3PL. Uh, and they're really good at storytelling, which that speaks to like they're good at creative and content and they have a vision that holds the whole thing together. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah, I'd say that's, I have to say two biggest things you want to launch a brand or, or, or kind of level up your brand, get really good at branding and storytelling and cut the fat in your business of which there almost always is some that you are not taking as hard a, a look, hard enough look as you should at. So yeah, I'd say it boils down to those two big things. Hmm. Okay. If I want to get this report for myself, go through it, where do I find it? Yeah, go to ecommercefuel.com forward slash ecommerce slash trends. Uh, you can check it out there. You can also just go to the ecommercefuel.com and go to the uh, the content tab at the top and go down to trends, trends report. You can find it right there. So, And I will include both of those links in the show notes. Tap or swipe up on the show art. Uh, Mr. Udarian, uh, where where can I learn more about you? Where can I find you? Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm hanging out at the Owls Club tonight if you wanted to come down for a drink. I, I, is that what you mean? Like we're hanging, gonna it, hang you know, out together? It'll take me a little while to drive there. <laughs> And well, like, you're already, I mean, I would take the jet, but it, like I let my kids borrow it. So, but you're, you're already dressed for, for the climate. So, I mean, that, that'll save you some time, right? That's, no, um, I don't think that's how that works. <laughs> uh, anywhere where you can find me, ecommercefield.com is, is the, the website in the community. So it's a community for seven to eight figure store owners. Um, you can find me, uh, if you're a podcast listener, which of course you are, unless you're watching on YouTube, uh, the ecommerce field podcast. Um, been doing that for a while and love just talking, geeking out e-commerce, talking with store owners, all this kind of stuff. Um, I'm on Twitter at Udarian, which you're going to be horrifically, it's a hard thing to spell. So Y-O-U-D-E-R-I-A-N. And those are, those are the big places I hang out. So, uh, I've got all of that in the show notes and you know what? I hang out there too. If you, uh, if you'd like to tap into a, a brain trust of similarly skilled and experienced e-com owners, check out. Mr. Udarian's community at ecommercefuel.com. This, I have, I've learned so much here it, and it, it's great to have like things I noticed and felt, but you, you can't say it's like, it, it, I can't see a trend with three people and go, well, that's for sure true. But then to see those same things reflected in a, a sample size of 600 um, mm-hmm. across, you know, all these different stores, uh, of course, 
of course I like confirmation bias. Very exciting to have my own thoughts and feelings validated for me. But uh, tons of uh, interesting stuff in there, and I am going to I'm going to keep going through this this report. This has been uh, really really valuable. Thank you so much for putting it together. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Kurt. It's always fun to come on and uh, yeah talk shop, banter a little bit, and uh, always love it. So thanks for the invite. Absolutely. Hold up, stop what you're doing. Go log in your Shopify store. You there yet? Okay, check your apps. How many do you have installed right now? More important, how much money are you paying for those apps every month? Here's the reality. Most Shopify store owners are managing dozens of marketing apps, but you don't necessarily need all those apps to drive sales. That's why I recommend my friends at Privy. With the Privy app, you can take advantage of at least five apps in one. Manage all your website conversion, list growth, email, and SMS marketing all in one place. Yes, that also includes features like countdown timers, cross-sell campaigns, free shipping bars, abandoned cart emails, you name it, this thing is powerful. So save the time, money, and headaches from toggling between dozens of apps and get Privy today.